So the realm of science is actually one that shows up on the spooky side of fiction, and we can actually all think of creepy science and creepy scientists in both film and literature. Um, so today, in this special episode of Short Stories of Bacteria, we're going to investigate some creepy but totally true stories in microbiology history. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. I am your host, as always, the ever-present and the illustrious Dr. K, and I would like to wish each and every single one of you the happiest and the spookiest of Halloweens. As I was sitting here recording this, or starting to record this, I thought to myself, oh, next time we have a Halloween episode, I'm going to have to have a different kind of music, just something a little spookier to, to match with the spookiness of the season. But hopefully you are all doing all the dressing up and eating all of the chocolate and all of the Halloween-themed um, activities. Super exciting stuff. Um, if this is your first time with us here on the podcast, welcome. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or whatever it is that the podcast equivalent is for that. One day, I'll get this on YouTube, and I'll be able to say, be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and hit that notification bell, whatever whatever it is that the YouTube people say. Um, also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Science with Dr. K. That is Science with Dr. K. Now, we have been getting into a bit of a theme here at Short Stories of Bacteria for the past couple of weeks. The theme being just the place of uh, the place of bacteria in the everyday, right? Where are places that we run into bacteria in our everyday environment? And then maybe if we know that, if we know about where we're interacting with bacteria in our everyday, is there a way that we could enhance our everyday experience by by curating our microbiome, by by specifically growing or encouraging the growth of certain types of bacteria. You may also recall that I pledged to you last week an episode on food bacteria and how is it, is it possible to enhance our food using bacteria. And I did, in fact, make that pledge to you. But then I had a good long look at the calendar and I said to myself, well, gee, looks like next Tuesday is Halloween, the spookiest of seasons, surely. It would make only the most sense for me to do a podcast on spooky stories of science and bacteria to tingle the spine and bring macabre to the spirit. And it was then and there, at that moment, that I decided to do an episode based on scientific stories that are even more spooky in nature while not compromising on the educational rigor that we bring here to short stories of bacteria every single week for your listening pleasure. Now, that is what we're going to do today. So what we're going to do is I'm going to tell a couple of stories from history that have to do with bacteria. And these are actually some pretty strange stories, but everything that you are about to hear is at, at least 100% true, possibly more, at least as far as I'm aware. If the ones who told me are lying to me, I cannot take responsibility for this. I was not there, but uh, pretty darn sure about the truth, the veracity of each of these claims. But let us begin. Enough of the preamble. For this first story, we shall have to go back in time a few hundred years ago in New England in a number of coastal towns in uh, in places like Connecticut, places like Massachusetts, places like Rhode Island. These towns include um, such towns as Jewett City. They include Boston, even. They include Exeter, Rhode Island. And each of these towns were having, were having a bit of an issue these, these couple hundred years ago. And the issue that they were having was that they were totally and utterly overrun with vampires. Now, of course, they weren't any 
actual vampires running around these coastal towns in New England, or at least as far as my studies have taken me, but I guess that's always a possibility. But you see, the notion of vampires, the notion of the undead, had long been part of superstition found in the New England coast. And so people in that neck of the woods and people at that time, they weren't really sure how to best think of these fanged creatures. A couple of theories did tend to prevail, though. Um, They were pretty sure, based off of the superstition and the stories, that if a vampire was going to attack one person and drink their blood, then they were going to target other members of the family as well. And the reason why was that if someone got sick with quote-unquote vampire-like symptoms, and these would include symptoms such as like being very ashen-faced, they had chills, they had night sweats, they had fever, they had pain at specific points where a wound was located, things like this. If someone got sick with those symptoms and the symptoms would spread the symptoms would spread to other members of the family. And so, the good people of New England reasoned, that must mean that vampires must feed on certain families, feasting on all people with the same blood type at the same time. And indeed, this seemed to happen a handful of times in these New England towns that I mentioned, leading everyone to conclude and slightly freak out about the fact that vampires must have been living amongst them. Now, wait a minute, Dr. K., I have been listening very carefully, you see, and it occurs to me that if people have the same symptoms and are in the same family, couldn't it be a better idea that they all had the same disease and weren't in fact being chomped upon by a super old undead creature? Well, that is a very, very good point. And in fact, you might be onto something there because when all these folks got these vampire-adjacent symptoms, it struck the good the good townsfolk of the town, that it looked like these poor folks were gradually getting consumed. And so, what better name to call it than consumption? Now, wait a second, Dr. K, you say, smashing your saucer of tea on the table, pointing furiously at the phone, while the cold Halloween wind rattles the shutters. I know what consumption is. Why, that's just another word for tuberculosis, that fiendish bacteria who murthers 1.6 million people every year, according to the latest statistics from the WHO. Yes, you're exactly spot-on correct again. It appears that the vampirish symptoms were just the symptoms of tuberculosis getting passed around the family at that time. The problem, of course, was that tuberculosis, TB, was still being figured out at that time. And in fact, you can hear all about it in an episode of this really, really cool podcast sweeping the nation called Short Stories of Bacteria with Dr. K., And so the closest thing that the folks in New England at that time could come up with was, well, vampires, I suppose. Now, one of the most famous stories of this happened in Exeter, Rhode Island, where one fine evening, just out of nowhere, the family of George and Mary Brown fell victim to the consumption. A few of the members of this family started to show the typical symptoms of pain at a specific break in the skin, fever, chills, night sweats, etc. And as tuberculosis made its way through the rest of their family, it infected the mother, Mary, as well as the three kids, Mary Olive, Edwin, and Mercy. Now, the mom and the two daughters, that's Mary and Mercy, very sadly passed away after contracting the disease. And that just left Edwin and his father to try and continue to survive after the deaths of the mother and the two sisters. Well, it was right about this time that rumors of vampirism began to show up. Again, all these folks in the same family were getting 
sick, right? And so they thought, okay, the vampire, whatever it is, the vampire must be feeding on this family. And according to local superstition, one of the people that died could possibly still be alive doing the vampiric things to slowly drain the life out of poor Edwin. And so the only logical thing to do, according to this theory, was to dig out the bodies of those that had passed away and see if anyone was still alive. Or at least or at least not dead. Undead, I suppose. And so, at the word of George Brown, remember the father, the three women were exhumed and examined to see if there was any chance that they were out secretly, out and about, doing doing, you know, what Dracula do. Now, unfortunately, while Mary and Mary Olive were in a normal coffin that kept the bacterial-based degradation happening at a good old clip, poor Mercy was kept in a stone crypt, which, number one, is a place where vampires are known to hang out, according to science, and number two, tends to be kept very, very cold. As a result, due to this natural cold of the crypt, it turns out that Mary Brown's body wasn't really experiencing bacterial-based deterioration at the same rate as the other Browns. So, when the suspicious townsfolk looked at the bodies of Mary and Mary Olive and saw that they were degrading, that was just fine. But when they happened upon the body of Mercy Brown and found that there was still some blood in her heart, even though she had died due to the preservation, due to how cold it was... They had seen enough, they utterly freaked out, and they decided to destroy the body. Now, if this was enough to turn your stomach, then please be advised. This next part is also pretty gross, so be warned. Skip ahead about eh, 30 seconds or so. It turns out that the best therapy for dealing with vampires is, number one, to burn the body and chop off its head, and number two, to use the organs as a therapy for those who are being taken by the vampire. Thus... The townsfolk used some of the organs of Mercy Brown's body to make this tonic, which they gave then to Edwin, and he drank. And as you might have guessed, it didn't really work with him, and he sadly passed away less than a year afterwards. Now, in the meantime, the townsfolk had done the whole rest of the whole vampire bit with garlic and steaks of wood and chopping off heads and whatnot. All horrible, horrible, horrible things. And it was a really, really sad thing, and it explains why sometimes there are instances of folks who have been buried who are seen far off and away from the rest of the population, who have clearly had their heads removed from their bodies. That's how it worked with Mercy Brown. That's the way it worked with the Ray family off in Jewett City, Connecticut. That's likely the way it worked with other families that dotted Boston, Griswold, and other spots throughout the New England shelf. It's a very interesting, um, albeit macabre, story. Um, and it's actually one of the original American vampire stories as well. In fact, Bram Stoker, the guy who wrote the fantastical novel Dracula, is suggested to have been influenced by newspaper clippings and stories associated with Mercy Brown. And it's suggested that some of his characters are actually loosely based on Mercy Brown, or at least some of the people found in Exeter, Rhode Island. So, that is one spooky scientific story for today. And I suppose we're only like 11 minutes in. I suppose I could tell another one. This one isn't really that spooky. It's more of a hmm, it's more of a dramatic instance of a scientist who is willing to put it all out on the line in order to prove the validity of their research. It's one of the most famous uh, stories, actually, in the history of microbiology. But this story takes us not into the Transylvanian wilderness, but just a handful of decades ago in Australia. See, a few decades ago in Australia, as it turns out, there was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Barry Marshall who was doing research 
um, on what caused gastric or peptic ulcers. So ulcers are like tiny breaks in the skin, very they're these sores, right? And gastric ulcers are similar, so they're painful breaks in the lining of the stomach. And this leads to significant pain. It leads to inflammation of the stomach. And they're even associated with cancer as well. But at that time, in the 80s, gastric ulcers were largely thought to have been caused due to stress. But Dr. Marshall, he had another hypothesis. His thought was that they were caused by the bacteria Heliobacter pylori. Heliobacter pylori. Heliobacter pylori is a bacteria. It's a corkscrew-looking little guy that just kind of trundles around through the world causing mischief in humans. Now, this is a very interesting hypothesis, but the problem with this hypothesis was that no one, no one really took it seriously. As I mentioned, um, as I mentioned a minute or two before, most scientists at this time were pretty set on the fact that it was stress that caused the formation of these gastric ulcers. And in fact, most scientists believed at this time that there was no bacteria that could successfully colonize the stomach due to the fact that the stomach, uh, the acidic nature of the environment naturally caused by stomach acid. So stomach acid keeps the, the interior of the stomach really acidic, right? And so it was thought that bacteria couldn't survive something like that. And because of this, while Marshall and his good friend, um, Robert Warren, while they could point to the fact that biopsies of the stomach would show the presence of Heliobacter, their hypothesis that it was causing these ulcers didn't really get a lot of traction. This is compounded by the fact that their experiments with animals were utterly unsuccessful, since bacteria like Heliobacter will preferentially infect humans to cause these ulcers. And all this together pointed to the fact that they needed a primate model Right? But the funding for such an experiment, trying to infect a primate model with Heliobacter, the funding just wasn't there since everyone was busy just laughing the two of them off, thinking that either they were junk scientists or even worse than that, forgers of data. Now, all of these factors, um, they all culminated, they all fomented to a head. And Marshall realized that there was only one thing that he could do. There was only one ethical way that he could test a primate model with his hypothesis. There was only one primate who could volunteer to undergo such a radical test. And so, one night, while the sky was overcast and thunder and lightning crashed against his roof, Marshall, Barry Marshall, in true Henry Jekyll fashion, extracted Heliobacter from the sample of a hapless victim of Heliobacter of these um, ulcers, incubated that bacteria in a culture of broth, and drank it down in one gulp. Now, after the first influence to gag, over the next few days, he would chronicle his symptoms. Marshall feverishly scrabbled out that he was gradually getting sick, he was gradually getting exhausted, and he vomited continuously. And after about a week of this, he developed severe inflammation in his stomach. He then obtained a biopsy and then triumphantly showed to the world the presence of Heliobacter in his stomach, thus proving all the haters wrong and confirming that Heliobacter indeed was causing those gastric ulcers and those, those gastric ulcers I mentioned that were linked to pain, sickness, and even cancer. Now, in happy news, Marshall ended up just taking some antibiotics and he is now totally fine. Um, in fact, he's still living happily in Australia to this day, and he is the very well-earned winner of the coveted Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine. So kudos to Barry Marshall, uh, and thank you for 
I don't know. It's a that's a crazy story. What an absolutely crazy thing, actually. It's super nice to see something that starts an awful lot like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, but it ends in a much happier way. It's also super neat, I think, to note how bacteria can be found in even the creepiest and the craziest stories of history. And it's a fun thing to think about and a fun thing to share um, this spooky Halloween night. Now, next week, we are going to get back on the grind again with the home microbiome. I did promise you bacteria with food, and by golly, you're going to get bacteria with food next week. But until then, again, I want to wish each and every one of you an amazing and spooky Halloween, and I can't wait to chit-chat with you again next week on another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. 